that whole thing podcast, exploring what it means to live in wholeness. I'm your host, Ben DeLong. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much for, for joining me on that whole thing podcast. I'm so glad that you're here and I'm so glad to, to have my friend Carl Forehand on the podcast again. Um, he was actually my first guest. Uh, he came on and kind of helped me get my feet wet with this whole podcasting thing and um, just glad to have him. Thanks so much, Carl, for being with me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you, man. Yeah. Glad to be here. Yeah. Um, Carl is an author of several books. Um, his first book, uh, Parent Faith, was amazing. Came actually came out about the time that mine did, so we we kind of had that in common and um, have some other things in common that past experiences. Um, he wrote the book The Tea Shop, and he has a new book coming out that we'll be talking about called Being. Um, he's also a podcaster. He has the Desert Sanctuary podcast. And um, he's a former pastor and a writer and just someone I've really come to appreciate has become a good friend. Um, so, Carl, for anybody that hasn't heard you or didn't hear the other episode with you, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. I um, kind of started out life as a computer programmer. Um, at some point, I jumped full, flat, you know, both feet into ministry mm-hmm. uh, later on started a side career and, and, you know, added some income to that. Mm-hmm. And then was a pastor for about 20 years and for, um, <clears throat> eventually kind of came to the point of, uh, kind of questioning my faith a little bit, but mainly just asking some questions and yeah. now, um, most denominations are tolerant of that for about two questions because they say, <laughs> Well, you don't really believe in this and you don't believe in that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> they'll, they'll allow one, but two is a little bit too much. And no no one from the denomination ever said that, but it was just, you know, what most people would call a deconstruction as I started to ask real serious questions. Um, it kind of came unraveled for me. Yeah. Not that I ever lost a belief in God or anything like that, but my, you know, my certainty about... Uh, a specific brand certainly diminished. And so I, you know, I, a couple of years ago, I would say <clears throat> maybe in, in 2017 or so, I began to just kind of deconstruct and ask questions. And so I started to write um, and stepped down from a job that I was in and, and have done more um, labor intensive jobs, I guess, since then. Trying yeah. to kind of find my place there, but also writing to sort through all of that. And I, mm-hmm. I say writing helps me think. So I wrote about my deconstruction. That was a parent faith when I started to um, you know, learn how to just be and be present and things like that. Then um, that was when the, the tea shop experience happened and mm-hmm. it was real helpful for me. And then now working on something else hopefully moving back into kind of that realm of being able to help other people now Mm. yeah and what was um what was that discussion that deconstruction experience like for you just because i know it's that word is becoming a little bit more common just because people are 
you know, I, I think when people find a word that describes our experience, you know, it, it makes us feel a little bit more, um, I don't know, normal maybe, or just, a, you know, like we're not alone. And so it gives us um, just, uh, it empowers us a little bit about our experience. But mm-hmm. I, I know a lot of people, you know, that are still kind of, they're kind of doing the things that they always did. And that's fine. Like we don't look down on that at all. But um, a lot of times they see people who are deconstruction and they might think, well, you're just, you're angry, you're rebellious, you're whatever. Like what, what was that experience like for you? Like what, what were your, um, what were you going for? Yeah, I, I think I would look at it more as a quest. There were some parts about it that were a little traumatic. You know, I think it's mm-hmm. all, all wrapped up in organizational religion, you know, and so when you try to disentangle from that, there's a lot of, you know, initially there's some fear, you know, Mm -hmm. because you've been told all your life that you can't trust your feelings and you're going to go down some kind of slippery slope. And yeah, um, you know, I can't speak for my wife, but I know she worried a lot about hell and things like that and things Mm -hmm. have been told and you worry about, you know, is this the right thing? But for the most part, I, I don't even like to call it a reconstruction. I like to call it an evolution. And so, um, you know, the, um, the people that, that most people are used to, like Brian Zahn and some of those authors that gave us some language helped that we're mm-hmm. all kind of using this language to, to evaluate um, what we believe and where we're going and those yeah. kind of things. So, so from I guess for me it wasn't too traumatic except that I lost a lot of friends, mm-hmm. yeah. and um, they uh, just kind of stayed where they were, and I guess that's the only option they felt like they had. Yeah, so I don't really hold it against them. I'm not really angry with them, but but you know you, you kind of have to rebuild everything. Yeah, so in a way it is it is reconstruction, but. Um, now it just feels more like evolving and 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 kind of a spiral upward, and I'm definitely not falling anywhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Richard Rohr says falling upward. I think that's what it kind of feels like. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and you. Um, so part of you, you know, like you said, part of you working that out was was your writing, and and so you've. Um, You've really recently written a book called Being. Um, it hasn't been released yet, but it will be soon. Um, from Shia Sophia House, and and we have that in common as well that we have that publisher together. Mm-hmm. And um, something that you talk about in there is just this concept of of a being versus doing, and um, how sometimes and and I think it be it can be different for different people, but sometimes some people do get caught up in they're just doing. And, but they, they don't have a sense of being of who they are. How, how did that work out for you? Like, how do you understand that? Yeah, I, I did wrestle with that idea of being versus doing. And so, um, you know, we're, we're human beings, not human doings. But I got a lot of my self-image from what I did, you know, being able to start at a disadvantage and overcome those obstacles and set goals. And I got a lot of my self-image from that. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was part of it, you know, in being and doing. So I, I talked about, well, the tea shop, my second book was about when I started to learn just how to be, to be present and be authentic 
mm-hmm. and things like that. And I began to learn that. But a few months after that, um, I discovered that when we're attempting to be, when we're trying to be, um, <clears throat> and just to be more present, things like that, um, it makes us aware of mm. things that we weren't aware of before. Yeah. And so, you know, now it's been about two and a half years ago, but two and a half years ago, I had an experience where I was beginning to uncover, you know, a lot of my trauma and some of those things. You know, I, in, in the current movement, you know, where a lot of people are using mindfulness and meditation and things like that. Mm-hmm. I think one, one warning I have, and nobody has to listen to me, but they, you know, one warning I have is that sometimes those kind of things can be used just like we used religion before to bypass mm. the real issues of life. Uh, there is great benefit in facing the real issues of life, mm-hmm. uh, but sometimes it's painful. So a couple of years ago, two and a half years ago now, I had an experience where I felt like my life was going to fall apart because um, what I would call shadow, the stuff that I'd pushed down um, was coming out and it was all coming to the surface at one time. Mm. And um, through the experience of working with some spiritual directors in Atchison County or Atchison, Atchison, Kansas. And uh, then uh, through a book, called Bringing Your Shadow Out of the Dark by Robert Augustus Masters um, and help from my spiritual director. Uh, I was able to have, I had an experience where now I would call it focusing, uh, bio-spiritual focusing or something like that. Yeah. And um, the book is where I, I tried to document what happened to me over that week. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was both both uh, traumatic. Uh, it was life changing, and it it helped me get unstuck. Uh, but it wasn't easy, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. It was hard work, and but I I came back later and wrote about being and, and authenticity and all those kind of things. And but then I, I felt like I, I need to write down that story, that thing that happened to me because I think it'll be helpful to other people. Mm-hmm. And I think it already is. It's not, not even released yet. And I think some people have read it ahead of time and it's been helpful to them <clears throat> because, now mainly because of this, this process called focusing and focusing what focusing attempts to do is um, that we would feel that past trauma. And when we feel, when we, when we experience that past trauma, experientially, when we feel it, it, um, has, it has the opportunity to shift, mm-hmm. come unstuck. And that's a tremendous thing for people to do. You know, yeah. I've been through lots of those sessions now and I've helped other people with them. Um, it's a tremendous thing because then otherwise, here we are and you know uh, what happens is someone does something to us and triggers we call them triggers sometimes right yeah it triggers or um, causes us to react because mm-hmm. of that shadow and um, you know then we're, we're angry we're, we're not we're just not reacting in the way that we should um, mm-hmm. 
and so anyway, that's that's kind of where I've been going lately. Yeah, yeah, and um, <clears throat> just to share with those listening, um, you you actually helped me through a um, led me through a focusing session um, a couple weeks ago, and um, and I I had um, kind of worked with focusing, kind of delved into it a little bit on my own, but I hadn't had a like a one on one session, and um, it you know, like you said, you, you have to let yourself feel those things because if you, if you don't, they're going to come out one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just to, to have someone out, someone else there with me to where, you know, that part of me that was, a, that was afraid to come out, that part that I was afraid to feel for mm-hmm. someone else to create a safe place for me, yeah. um, was just, I mean, that, and there's so many things I could say about it, but that was where it stemmed from was there's a safe place for me to feel what I've been afraid to feel. Right. And, and it does, like you said, it, it changes just by that. Like you don't have to fix it. You don't have to explain things. It's mm-hmm. just, there's someone there with it. Yeah. And there's a, there's a place for therapy and sometimes, but sometimes therapy um, or let's just say therapies, you know, mm-hmm. therapies or practices or whatever, tend to revisit that trauma, um, but we visit it kind of with our heads. You know, I think it's this, mm. and I think it's that, and I think this is why I do this. Yeah, that, that's, that's all up in your head. Mm-hmm. Um, we encourage people in focusing not to be up there, but to be with that part of your body that's trying to speak to you, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and is trying to heal. Yeah, and some of those some of those things are even good things, like like empathy and so on, that's been buried within us you know yeah. to survive when we went through the trauma we you know that part of us uh, just buried that trauma and yes yeah. now when something triggers us it comes out and it comes out in the wrong way yeah it's still responding um with the methods or with the the ways in which it got stuck mm-hmm. so, you know if you were traumatized when you're five years old um, you'll notice that sometimes your five-year-old red-faced self comes out. Mm, yeah, <laughs> you know, at the worst times, and and that's what that's what it's about. Your body continues to, to try to tell you that this needs to be addressed. And yeah. um, when you do, when you feel it, Eugene Genlin that that pioneered this in the '70s probably, you know, mostly based on Carl Jung and so on's work. But when he pioneered this, he said, whatever is felt changes. Mm-hmm. Um, but whatever is, is not felt stays the same. Yeah. So it's important that we go back and feel it. And, you know, I don't know if you've noticed people cry, you know, when they start to talk about some of those things. Sometimes we cry to say, don't make me feel that anymore don't mm. i don't want to go there you know we have those kind of defenses and uh sometimes we even get angry you know when, when someone tries to help us but anyway does that make any sense yeah it makes a lot of sense and um yeah i know i know john broad john bradshaw talks about this in his book about shame of just um you know, trauma is not just what happened in that moment, but it's what happens afterwards. Mm. And, um, you know, 
do you, do you get to talk about it? Do you get to process it? And, you know, I, I know for a lot of stuff that happened for me when I was a kid, like our, you know, our family didn't know how to talk about that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, if you're five or six years old, you don't know, like, <laughs> you don't know that's what you're supposed to do. And so you just, you just hold it in. And, but you know, I, I think trauma, a lot of times the impact of it is diminished if you're, if you get the process it after it happens yeah. and, and when you're a kid, that doesn't happen a lot. And so, you know, focusing and, and there's other tools too, but focusing is a way to let that happen, um, yeah. to let you kind of process that. Yeah. Yeah. It would be way better if someone would have said to us at the time, you know, that's okay for you to feel that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay to cry. Uh, I know that hurts, you know, those kind of things might've been way better, but many times people say, don't, we don't have time to cry. <laughs> you know, yeah. you can't, yeah. and, and they don't quite know how to process it. So it, it just gets stuffed down and then causes us problems later. Mm. Yeah. And you know, what ends up happening is that we, um, you know, we build up this toxic shame and it just feels it feels so powerful and we we try to hide it because we think that'll help but the more we hide it the more powerful it gets and mm-hmm. and is something my spiritual director has been talking to me about is just that that concept of um in hebrews 12 where it says you know jesus went to the cross and he scorned the shame and that he mm-hmm. it, you know it's like he he brought the shame out into the open and said look it it's i'm conquering it you know, look, it's not, it's not what you think it is. And that, you know, that's kind of what happens is that you bring that shame out into the open. <clears throat> you know, it's like our, our friend, Dr. Paul says, you know, shame is that feeling that if people know you, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. And the only way to resolve that is to let someone know you and see that you don't die. Yeah. You, know, yeah. you bring that shame out into the open and you realize, Oh wait, it's, it's not as powerful as I thought it was. Right. Yeah. And it's, someone else feels the same way I do um and I was seen with eyes of grace instead of mm-hmm. eyes of judgment so yeah yeah all that helps I think that's why it really helps to have a companion go with you a spiritual yeah. director or someone that understands this process just to you could do this and I did during that traumatic part of, part of my life a couple of years ago and I did do some work by myself but it really helps to have someone beside you just to be a companion, to give you a few cues and, um, and kind of to have your back. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Well, something you mentioned earlier and you talk about in the book is, is the concept of spiritual bypassing and um, things that we do or say in, in religious settings that don't, don't allow us to actually deal with what's going on. And, mm-hmm. And something that I, I think that really speaks to is because you talked about, you know, with the stuff that's going inside of us, like we have to do the work. Like mm-hmm. we have we have to go in there and we have to, you know, really um, sit with what's there. And and there's a lot of spiritual bypassing, at least in my experience in the church, that that tells you that anything anything that involves doing work is like somehow not trusting God. Yeah. Um, that, you know, we, you know, we're saved by grace. We're not trusting our works and that we'll just, you know, 
like when somebody says, Oh, just pray about it, you know, and right. but then you don't actually deal right. with it. And, and there's a sense that, you know, well, you're not being spiritual if you do the work. And it's like, well, no, like you're like mm-hmm. you, there's a false understanding that can say that, but the real, the real truth is that God is right there in your shame already. Yeah. And you're just going there to meet him. Um, yeah. What, what do you think about that or any other spiritual bypassing things that impacted you? Well, I think unfortunately a lot of religion is designed to bypass our mm. issues. It's it's not necessarily because you know anybody has bad intentions. Yeah. Um, the system's just designed, and it there's so much of the system that that's dedicated to keeping the organization running. And sometimes people don't know. Um, how to deal with trauma and sometimes they don't have time most of the time they don't have time the system doesn't work very well Mm. it wouldn't work in the middle of sunday morning church to stop and say listen i'm hurting Mm. we got to stop and deal with this the train just keeps moving but then there's lots of phrases that you know people's trauma makes us uncomfortable yeah so um you know we say well god is in control or we'll pray for you, or um, it's going to be okay. And, you know, you, you know, and, and all those phrases are meant for good, but they end up just bypassing people's stuff, the, the issues back down. Uh, and also, you know, we were kind of geared towards this, this hope for the miraculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited that the universe provides some, some miraculous things and miracles do happen. But I think when we uh, get all wrapped up in miraculous thinking that we can bypass the, the mundane, the normal, the, the things that really help us yeah. sometimes. And we then, you know, it just, it doesn't make the situation better. It makes it worse because we're, mm-hmm. bypass, we're bypassing it. And like I said before, sometimes meditation can, which I believe is a good practice. Mindfulness practices are good, but sometimes we could use those even to bypass the situation, to, to try to mantra it out instead of realizing that when we really, when you, when you genuinely uh, seek to listen to your body, to listen to, to what's inside, which is where Jesus said the kingdom is, um, mm-hmm. when you start to listen to that, then uh, sometimes we're going to come across some things that are a little painful and, yeah. and to be with them uh, hurts a little bit, but that's when it's really going to change. Not when we uh, find a good slogan for it. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Well, and I, I think, you know, for some of the things that we, we, you know, we think, you know, we're wanting something miraculous to happen. It might be better just to call it magic because it's like mm-hmm. what we're hoping to happen doesn't even make sense, yeah, like you know? And, yeah. and, and it's like, I remember when, when my wife and I were um, <clears throat> going through our, a really difficult time in our marriage about, it was after we had been married for about five years. Um, I connected with a, <clears throat> a seminary professor that I had had because he, because he had been, honest about the times that he had with his wife that were tough and, and what they had to do. And, and one of the things he told me, you know, I reached out to him, I said, you know, we're having, 
having a lot of difficulties. We really want to, you know, work on our marriage. And he said, you know, resist the temptation to over spiritualize it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, basically saying, don't just say God fix it and then not make any changes to your life, <laughs> you know? Right. And, right. and it's like, um, part of the reason our marriage was hurting was because I was hurting inside and I wasn't letting anybody know me because of that. And so my wife didn't know me because I wouldn't let her. And you can't have a very healthy marriage if you don't know each other. Yeah. And, and to say, God, will you make this better? Like, will you fix this without me changing that is, it doesn't make any sense. But yeah. like, what is miraculous though, like is to, to look at what God has done um, in my heart and in my life since then, you know, mm -hmm. as, as I've done the work with him, like as I've sat in those places of shame and hurt and as I've stepped out in things that he was asking me to be courageous in, um, I'm such a different person now. Like, and maybe that's not even the right way to say it because I'm more, I'm more who I truly was anyway. But like to see what God's done in my heart since then, that's miraculous. Yeah. And I think, you know, the more we look into quantum physics and things like that and see, uh, how intelligent even those, um, you know, subatomic particles are and how connected they are. And all of that stuff, um, you know, we've we've been looking for an answer way out there somewhere that's real big and huge, mm. and and and, and uh, mag. And I was trying to find a word there, magnificent, you know, inspiring, all you know, mm. all inspiring and things like that. Yeah. But then we go, you know, into the subatomic levels of particles and find out there's there's a lot of intelligence there. Um, mm. that, you know, some, we're learning just more and more every day about how our bodies store things and communicate mm. and, and all those things. Yeah. And it's like, uh, the miraculous may have always been within you. Yeah. Instead mm. of out yeah. there somewhere. And, and it's in that, uh, when we, when we're authentic, when we live, when we live and practice and heal authentically instead of magically i like that word um <laughs> sometimes it, you know it's it's often way better yeah the other thing i thought about when you were talking was you, you talked about you know being happy i think sometimes religious people can be addicted to happiness mm -hmm. you know and it's it's all about uh and so we end up putting on faces and you know you know those stories have been around for a long time but yeah. Um, sometimes the appropriate thing to do is grieve. Sometimes we feel our pain, or we feel other people's pain, or we um, we're just sad. You know, yeah. we're, you know, and and it's okay to be where you are, be who you are. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually I was listening to a friend's podcast the other day, and he was interviewing um, William Willimon, and um, he was talking about. Um, he's talking about that kind of thing about how like if we, if we idolize happiness or inner peace or whatever you want to call it, then we, we don't listen to the things that are stirring within us. And he was talking about, you know, um, as, as we become more aware of, of some of the racial injustice and, and with what happened to George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and, and all the other things that were going on, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of times that, um, 
you know, a lot of Christians were, were feeling that. They were feeling that turmoil and upset about what was going on. But because they were addicted to happiness, their reaction, their response was, well, let's go to church to get happy again. Instead of like, well, maybe you should, you know, maybe we need to sit with this. Maybe we should be disturbed, you know, with what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. That's, you know, it's just shame cycles that we just keep proliferating. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, something you you talk a lot about, and I know people have helped me with this, and including you, um, is just um, interacting with our inner critic and and mm-hmm. understanding, you know, that part of us, wh- where they're coming from, what they're trying to do, like how 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 to relate with that. How how have you um, how, how have you been helped with that? I think it's just helpful to realize that most of us have an inner critic and that most of us, that inner critic is us. Mm. You know, it could be something about our, um, you know, our parents, Mm -hmm. our authority figures in our life, but a lot of times it's us that's continuing that cycle. And so we're, we're both, there's a part of us that's wounded and a part of us that's still being critical. Mm. And, I think it's important about all the, the things within us to realize that they, they're trying to protect us, mm-hmm. at least initially, you know, that, um, they were trying to protect us. Um, so, um, you know, we've both talked about Dr. Paul Fitzgerald. He says the, the main emotion, the main feeling I want to have is compassion. So not only do I have compassion for the part of me that is wounded, but I have compassion for that inner critic. Yeah. And it's not that I, I need to get angry at the inner critic. It's not that I need to obliterate him. Let's just call him him, right? Or um, because it's part of me. It's part of myself. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but I do want to have compassion for it. And I think, you know, the way... I picture it and try to help other people picture it is, is whole, you know, kind of holding out your hand and saying, I know you're trying to protect me. Mm-hmm. I know that you have good intentions for me, but right now I need you to back off. Yeah. You know, I need you just to stop and pausing is a big deal, big part of focusing to just pause and instead of reacting, uh, responding. Mm-hmm. But I think compassion may be the thing, compassion and empathy may be two of the biggest things uh, we need to get about how the universe works and how people work. Mm. Compassion and empathy may be, may be right up there with love, you know, or maybe they're a part of love. Mm. Mm. So as, as you've been, you know, on this, this journey, um, what, what have been the practical ramifications for you and and how does it, you know, how does it impact the way that you, you know, not only um, love and have compassion for yourself, but love others. Cause I, I know that, you know, as I talked about earlier, sometimes people have these misconceptions, you know, when, when they're looking at someone, you know, making, you know, growing in their life, there's even misconceptions of, Oh, well, they're just, they're just focused on themselves. And it's like, well, if if you're doing it in a healthy way, eventually you get to this place where 
your healing so that you can love others better and you can be compassionate with them more. So how, how is that, how has that um, showed up in your life? Yeah. One of the biggest things you may seem, I've mentioned it a couple of times, but it may seem insignificant, but it's huge for me is that I don't react. Mm, yeah. And, yeah. And, and I might, I probably should just stop there. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. just way less, um dramatic and and well you know weekend ending and things like mm. that <laughs> yeah. you know when 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 something happens or someone says something or yeah someone disagrees with me you know i i did never want to react that way but i was yeah and i remember you know after the two and a half years ago thing happened and i did some work and then Laura said about a year ago, you know, you just don't react like that anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and that's golden for me, you know, yeah. huge yeah. in my life. Mm. Um, and, you know, to be honest, last night we had a you know, miscommunication uh, between my wife and I. And, mm-hmm. you know, so much easier uh, to, to get through that rather quickly. Yeah. Um, because we both of us were not just reacting mm. to the last thing the other one said. <laughs> so, you know, those, that's a big deal. For sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I, I wonder if, I wonder if um, um, judging is, would be a, a synonym maybe with reacting, um, you know, because when we react, we, we react, we react, you know, in this shallow way of just like, we make these assumptions about things and um and i i know a big part of my you know my journey and my healing has been and richard Rohr talks about this a lot is that you you learn not to judge things and including and and really starting with yourself mm-hmm. um and you you know he he talks a lot about um and his organization they work a lot on centering prayer and just kind of observing what's going on inside of you and they just emphasize don't judge it like if mm-hmm. you have a thought you have an emotion don't sit there and say oh man i can't believe i had that or that's stupid or whatever just let it go and and it's that you know that same thing um i think with others is that when, when we learn to stop judging ourselves we learn to stop judging others too mm-hmm. yeah i'm so I so now I say, um, be who you are, be where you are, be who you are, and be at peace. And so I always talked about being at peace when I was in uh, the ministry, mm-hmm. when I was going to church and so on. Um, but I don't know that I was ever there. Um, yeah. But when I can be where I am, just be present, like you said, without judgment, that expectation that's the big story of the tea shop you know just to be there to be present to yeah. listen to, to notice what's going on to not judge to not have to evangelize not have to change anyone's mind don't have to be certain but then when i can also be authentic and i can be my real self uh you know the one inside that's authentic and and not have to perform or you know, when all of that stuff's removed, 
uh, it's just a matter of being where you are and being who you are. And when you can do that, I believe you're at peace. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm if I'm being who I am and where I am, what else do I need to do? <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's it's a wonderful thing. I I I wouldn't want anybody out there to think my life is perfect. You know. Yeah. But I, I do think I'm, I'm I'm getting there, and I it's it's pretty good. And, <laughs> and I think this this. This simple little focusing thing has made all the difference in the world. It's like like something I've been searching for, I think, all my life. Yeah. Yeah, it's been really impactful on me too. Um, so the the concept of of being versus doing, I, I, I think if you know there you know what what that's really trying to say is that you know you need to like act out of your authentic self. Um, mm-hmm. But I, you know, I think there could be like this false dichotomy that maybe people might hear there is that, you know, being is better than doing. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas it's, it's about where it comes from. Yeah. And um, I know my, my spiritual director talks a lot about, um, you know, a lot of times in religious settings we get, we get our identity and our, our obedience flipped around and we think if we obey enough, then we'll know who we are and we'll, we'll be loved and accepted by God. Mm. Whereas the opposite is true is that like we, we will know how we're supposed to obey what we're supposed to do when we know who we are, because it flows out of that. Um, so how would you, would you, does that resonate with you? And, and how, how has, how is healthy doing, um, come up in your life now? Yeah, I think that I would classify a lot of the healthy doing as nurturing. Mm. Um, and first of all, nurturing yourself. Yeah. And, and not feeling guilty about that, but also then then n- doing what nurtures other people, what loves other people. Mm. And so that's, to me, is the healthy doing. The, you know, I can be while I'm doing my job, it's it's not that being means that you're inactive, yeah. Um, but it does mean um, that you're not trusting that if you just do more and more and more, that it's going to be better and better and better. Because mm, yeah. many times it's not. And in there, I, I do know that uh, I worked a um, a job where I made some money and saved it and and was between things for about a month and a half. And do you know there were days that I just sat in my chair and and, um, and thought and wrote and um, just, just was there mm-hmm. and ended up at the end of the day not doing anything. There was another day that I painted the porch and I see that painting the porch as being also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, wrote, I was where uh, again, go back to what I said is I was where I was at and I was myself. Yeah. And, and that's being to me. And that's what brings me peace. So, mm. yeah, it, I would say the doing, you're going to do actions that it, that it falls within the, the confines of love and empathy and compassion and um, that it, that it's true to yourself, mm-hmm. true to where you are, not playing a game, not, not putting on an act. Um, then it, it just kind of all flows together. 
that make sense at all? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, before we kind of conclude here, um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to hoping for the focus of this podcast to be about helping people um, have tools and concepts and maybe hear um, stories that are inspirational to them to help them seek wholeness in their own life. Um, what is, what's been helping you, um, you know, experience wholeness in your life lately or, or harmony or whatever word you want to use, what's been helping you with that? I mean, my, I don't have a lot of practices really. Now my Laura and I sit on the porch till it got really, really cold (laughs) (laughs) for the last couple of weeks. Um, we did, we sit on the porch and we light these little mini tiki torches we have mm-hmm. uh, every once in a while we burn a little sage you know and uh, they call it smudging or whatever mm-hmm. um, you know but it's just sitting there watching the flame um, looking at the stars which we've avoided doing for a long time mm-hmm. um, and we're just we're just there together and we talk a little bit but most times we just look at the flames and we spend that time together mm-hmm. um, I also do I do yoga and when I do it as um, just a means of, of creating space in my body and mm-hmm. just, again, just being there yeah. instead of worrying about if it's tightening my stomach or, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yoga yeah. has been very helpful for me. Mm. Um, they say we store a lot of our trauma like in our hips and mm. yoga stretches all that out for me and helps me get in touch with it. I've actually cried during, mm. you know, during yoga because of that. Mm. Um, the, you know, and then, then a lot of mindfulness, a lot of meditation mm. um, is helpful. Um, and I, I like different kinds of music now um, mm. that, that that the most of them are not spiritual based you know they're not they don't have religious words in them and so on but it's, mm-hmm. it's feeling and um you know and i just like a lot more of nature being out in in nature um watching nature do its thing listening to the drum beat of nature mm-hmm. that kind of stuff is really and then you know probably my biggest practice i would say is my writing mm-hmm. but, when I write, it it loosens something in me and lets me get out what's inside. So mm. all that together kind of works to to transform my life. And then I, I love focusing with other people and then doing that occasionally with my director and mm-hmm. all of that kind of works together. Mm. Awesome. It's neat that none of it has to be done. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of essential in a way, but it's like if I, you know, I don't have to do this thing every day or it doesn't work, you know, it's, yeah, it's as, as needed. Yeah. Like, um, Papa says on the shack that nothing is a ritual. Right. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah that's kind of neat. So what, uh, what are you working on these days and how, how can people interact with you? Okay. Um, what I'm working on is, the Bean book is going to, and it has a companion guide with it. It'll be out in January. So we've been, we did four practice groups called the mm-hmm. Bean Journey. And I want to continue those on after the book comes out in January to let people experience what I experienced, use that as a guide 
the companion guide or my book, either one, but then also to do focusing sessions with people. So all of that I want to keep doing. But what I'm working on is Laura and I also wrote a book last year, this past year, about um, thriving outside of organized religion. It's not to say that that's for everybody, but we have a lot, we've run into a lot of people through the desert sanctuary that have that experience. And yeah. so it's called Out Into the Desert, uh, Thriving Outside of Organized Religion. So it's being edited right now, and we're going to probably need to do a little bit more work on it, mm -hmm. maybe next year sometime. Okay. And then I just started a novel, um, <laughs> and that's an experience and a half. I kind of talked to Paul Young about <laughs> it while I was thinking about it, and Paul Young said, just get in the river and let it take you. Yeah. That, that's been my experience. It's kind of kind of interesting to see what those characters do. I know you've written a novel, so that's, uh, you, you know that experience. So mm -hmm. anyway, but people can find me at carlforehand.com, carlforehand, Carl with, with the K and forehands like in tennis. Um, <laughs> and from there, you can get to everything else, the Desert Sanctuary podcast, the Too Many Podcasters podcast, and um, all the different things that we do kind of kind of stem from there. Okay, cool. Guys, make sure to check him out. Check out the, the book Being coming out next month. And um, Carl, as always, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, man. <laughs>